0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Mark chapter four. chapter 15. We are in the middle of Jesus' trial, the Roman phase of his trial. We've just finished in the last audio in the first part of Mark chapter 15, discussing Jesus' first appearance before Pilate. Pilate then sends Jesus away to Herod Antipas, who is the Tetrarch of Galilee. He was in town. We read about this in Luke twenty-three six through twelve. I'm not going to talk about the Jesus before Herod, but basically, Pilate heard that Pilate heard that Herod was in town. He wanted to know whether Jesus was a Galilean, and of course, when he knew that, he knew that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction. So he figured, oh, I get rid of this hot potato. He sent Jesus to Herod. Herod cannot find get anything out of Jesus. The the Chief priests and scribes mock him, the soldiers, Herod's soldiers set him free, but they mocked him first. They put him in beautiful royal attire, mocking him as a king, and they sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends. So now Jesus is back before Pilate the second time. So we'll start in Mark chapter 15, and we'll go uh, through verse 8. And we need to remember here that all four Gospels record this. I'm going to have to hop back and forth between the Gospel accounts to get all the details in. We'll start with Mark 15, verse 6. At the festival, it was Pilate's custom to release for the people a prisoner they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Now... What rebellion was Barabbas involved with? Mark writes this as if it were a well-known rebellion. He calls it the rebellion. However, the rebellion is not known from any other source, so we don't know. Now I'll switch to Matthew 27, verse 15, and read verses 15 and 16. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. Now this custom of releasing a prisoner to the crowd every year, the festival is the Passover festival, There's nothing known about this custom anywhere outside of the gospel accounts, according to the NIV Study Bible. John Gill and Adam Clark say it might have been a Roman custom instituted to get the favor of the people, and then as time went on, it became customary for the Jews to ask for that prisoner every year. John 18.39 says this, You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's Pontius Pilate asking about that custom. It's a strange custom if you think about it. A crowd could just release the most notorious prisoner to go out and pray on the public again. That's okay. They'll do it. Reading verse 16 in Matthew 27. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. What had Barabbas done? He was a thief. He had committed sedition. He had committed insurrection. And he had murdered somebody during that insurrection. We just read in Mark chapter 15 verse 7. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. It's one thing to revolt, but when you actually kill somebody during the revolt, that's a capital crime. So he was, he was a evil guy, and this was pointed out to show that this is who the crowd asked for instead of Jesus. They didn't care how bad this guy was. They weren't going to have Jesus. Barabbas means son of a, son of a father, literally, and John Gill says that the way you interpret that, Somewhat idiomatic expression means that a father's child was spoiled and ruined. And John goes further and says that Barabbas was the child of his father the devil, son of of his father the devil. Of course, that wasn't meant to be that way when he was named, I'm sure. He was probably a zealot, that revolutionary party of Jews who existed at that time in Israel. We now turn to Luke 23, and I'll read verses 13 through 15. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who subverts the people. He's referring to Jesus now. But in fact, after examining him, examining Jesus, In your presence I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly he has done nothing to deserve death. Now remember now, it's still early morning, Friday morning, good Friday morning. This is the second time before Pilate that Jesus has appeared. After the first examination before Pilate, Jesus, Pilate could find absolutely nothing to charge Jesus with. And Jesus had privately, out, outside, away from the presence of the Jewish, his Jewish accusers, had told Pilate in the praetorium, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate took one look at Jesus, who was beaten and bleeding, and said, this is no king, this is no revolutionary. Now this was pretty embarrassing for the Jews to Herod to, to come back out to him and say, I, I've got no grounds to charge this man with. Remember, the Jews were outside. They wouldn't go into Herod's house, into the praetorium, because it would pollute them for the Passover, because Pilate was a Gentile. So Pilate would go back out on the gabaf of the stone pavement outside and sit on the judgment seat, which was a seat on the on the pavement, so here we have Pilate, the judicial authority there. He kept saying Jesus was innocent. And we know all the way through this, Pilate's trying to figure out some way to spring Jesus. He doesn't want to execute an innocent man. But on the other hand, the Jews were so willing to revolt and scream and holler that they might start a revolt, which would get him in trouble with the Jewish authorities. And so we see the man trapped. If he had been an honorable man and had been willing to do what was right, he would have set Jesus free because he knew he was innocent. But he was not an honorable man. He made his choices, bad choice. He killed the Messiah. He killed the Son of God. Notice that Herod, when Jesus was before Herod, he had not even ordered, Herod had not even ordered Jesus to be scourged because he didn't think he was guilty either. He did mock him and put him in bright clothes, but he didn't even whip him, Sent him back to, to Pontius Pilate. Now, in verse 13 here in Luke 23, it says Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people—that people is a little bit ambiguous. Uh, John Gill and Adam Clark, uh, one of either one of those commentators, I forgot which one said that these people were probably members of the Sanhedrin. We now turn to Mark chapter 15, verse nine, verses nine and ten. So Pilate answered them, "Do you want me to release the King of the Jews for you? For you, for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over the King of the Jews." capitalized here in my home and Christian study Bible I think that Herod that Pilate was using the expression in a way to make fun of the Jews here's your king he's beaten he's beaten he's bleeding he's whipped he's wearing these ridiculous mocking clothes that were supposed to remind one of royal attire here's your king you want me to release him for he knew it was because of envy, envy. The chief priests were envious of Jesus because Jesus had the following. Jesus had people proclaiming him as a Messiah, and the people didn't love the chief priests like that. And the chief priests were envious of Jesus because Jesus was going to take their place. At least this is one way of looking at it. We need to note, however, that Pilate was speaking to the crowds, not really to the Jews and the chief priests and the leaders. Let's look at John eighteen thirty nine. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, the you he's referring to here is the crowd. He's speaking to the crowd, as we have seen from the passage in Mark that we just read. Why would Pilate use the term king of the Jews in front of the Jews, in front of the crowds? The NIV Study Bible says he wanted to influence the people towards releasing Jesus. Now, in that case, he wouldn't be using the term King of the Jews in an ironic, mocking sense. He's saying, no, you just proclaimed him Hosanna last week, last Sunday, Palm Sunday. He was brought into the city. Everybody was waving palm fronds and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna unto the King, to the Messiah. So here he is. You want him or not? Now, of course, the crowds that had proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah might have melted away by now because... They didn't expect their Messiah to be all beaten up and arrested as a criminal, so the crowds might not have been there anymore. Although it, they they might have been, it's, we don't know for sure. And by calling Jesus King of the Jews, I'm sure that that would inflame the Jewish leaders and not pacify them. So Je- Herod might, have, I mean, Pilate might have had the desire to poke to poke fun at the Jews, but that's not helping them out. any. that's just going to make them angry. And he's not, he doesn't want them angry. He's trying to calm the situation down. So he might not have been ironic in the use of that term. He might have been literal about it. But, but to get the crowds on his side by saying, here's your king and release him, that is going to inflame them, inflame the leaders. So Herod again is in the rock and the hard place. Does he please the crowd? Does he influence the crowd at the cost of getting the Jewish leaders more angry at him? Now John Gill says that Pilate was sneering and sarcastic. When Pilate said that, and I, I, don't think so. I think that would just make the Jews more angry. I think Pilate's got more sense than to make the, the Jews more angry in that volatile situation. We now turn to Luke chapter twenty-three, verse sixteen. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then released, and then release him. Pilate says, the King James for whip says, I will chastise him, a little severe chastisement. He whipped him. As we'll see later, being whipped by the Romans, is no laughing matter. But here, Pilate shows that he wanted to release him, and he thought he was innocent. Now, why would Pilate whip Jesus even though he had found him innocent? This was a cowardly, unjust act. Well, here's some options as to Pilate's motive. The NIV Study Bible says he may have wanted to satisfy the chief priest and the people who were Asking for Jesus' head, he says, okay, well, I'm not going to kill him, but I'll, I'll do a little bit for you. We'll compromise. I'll whip him. It could have been to warn Jesus against any possible trouble in the future. Maybe. Those are pragmatic reasons. They're not just reasons because it's not just to whip an innocent man. Now we turn to Matthew chapter 27. We'll go from verses 17 through 21, starting with verses 17 and 18. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah? For he knew they had handed him over because of envy. Now, what was the motive that Pilate had in proposing Barabbas or Jesus as a candidate for release? Well, one possible motive that Pilate might have had was he wanted to defame Jesus by comparing him with a notorious murderer. I don't think so. John Gill denies that too. He did it in order to save Jesus. John Gill affirms, and I agree. He figured the Jews would not be so low as to choose Barabbas over Jesus, but of course they were. Barabbas was a notorious murderer. Jesus had recently been so popular. Well, of course, given an alternative between a murderer, Barabbas, and the and the King of the Jews, about whom a week ago everybody was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well. Obviously, the obvious choice would be, let Jesus go. Now, of course, we still have this interesting question, why did the crowds turn against Jesus so fast? Adam Clark says the crowd changed their minds when they saw Jesus had been condemned, because messiahs don't get condemned. Or it could be the chief priest persuaded the crowds to turn against Jesus, as we'll see in Matthew 27, verse 21 and 22. When we get there, the chief priests actually, somehow, either through public oratory or through Passing bribes through the crowd, they got the crowd to the, the, uh, through the crowds. So they got the crowd to turn on Jesus. Now, Pilate, as he looked at the Jews, he says he knew that they were after Jesus because of their envy. In verse 18, here in Matthew 27, Pilate knew the Jews weren't interested in the peace and tranquility of the Roman Empire. How did he know that? Well, he could look at their faces, full of malevolence. John Gill says he could look at their faces or just listening to the charges against Jesus. He knew that Jesus was no revolutionary. He was not trying to commit sedition. He also knew that Jesus is popular. I mean, after all, he'd been in town when all the crowds were singing, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. So he knew that Jesus was popular, so he figured these people are probably jealous, and I don't want to kill this innocent man just because these people are jealous. Going on to verse 19 in Matthew 27. While he, that's Pilate, was sitting on the judge's bench, that's the bench out there on the of the pavement, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. Now you know dreams were big deals in the ancient world. And here Pilate is trying to get Jesus sprung, and his wife sends him a message that says, I had a dream, don't kill this righteous man, he's innocent. Of course, Pilate already knew he was innocent, and this was just reinforcing what he already knew. Pilate's wife's name is not known, but whoever she was, at this time, Pilate should have listened to his wife. Of course, you can always say if he had, Jesus would have saved the world from their sins. So, you know, we can't worry about things like that, though. But from a strictly human point of view, Pilate should have listened to his wife. Now, the wife probably knew that Jesus was getting railroaded. She probably knew about the evening meeting at Caiaphas' house where the rump Sanhedrin Condemned Jesus, and Pilate had put up with that. She probably knew about the morning meeting of the Sanhedrin in the temple, where the full Sanhedrin condemned Jesus. She probably had heard Jesus's case after Jesus had been handed over to Pilate. She was Pilate's wife, and Pilate knew what was going on, and she probably had heard it all. Now, here's some interesting, an interesting question: Where did that dream come from? Did it come from God, as Adam Clark says? The problem is that why would God interfere with his predetermined plan to offer Jesus up as a sacrifice? That's my question. But on the other hand, it could be that God wanted to have one more witness of Jesus' innocence, and there were plenty of them. We got Pilate, we got Herod, and now we got Pilate's wife even. We even got Judas Iscariot. Judas said in one place, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but he said when he was, we're going to get to this in a little, in a future audio. Judas said he had betrayed an innocent man. Judas was stricken with remorse, if you recall, because he knew that Jesus was innocent. Of course he knew. He was with him for three years. He knew he had railroaded and judicially murdered or contributed to the judicial murder of not only an innocent man, but a remarkable man who was perfectly without sin. So Judas said it. And of course, Pilate said more than once he could find nothing in guilty to the Jesus. And Herod implicitly had said Jesus was innocent because he sent Jesus back to Pilate with no further charges against him, and now we have Pilate's wife. So, so at any rate, uh, that could be another witness that God wanted another witness that Jesus was innocent. That's why he gave the dream to Herod's wife. Or John Gill says the devil could have given the dream to John to. Uh, Pontius Pilate's wife, to keep Jesus from being the sacrifice for the sins of the world if Pontius Pilate had not gone through the execution. Well, I don't know. could be just a natural dream. This is my idea. She would be thinking about all these things. The whole city was in an uproar. Her husband must have been talking to her about all this stuff. But if it was just a natural dream, we have to remember that all natural things are under the providence of God. And so it doesn't really matter. It's just interesting. Matthew 27, verse 20, The chief priest and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. How did they persuade the crowds? Well, they could have given a public harangue and gotten up and spoken to them and said, You need to obey your leaders. We know what's best for you. We know what's right and what's wrong. Or could they, they could have just sent servants among the crowd to defame Jesus. To say, hey, look here, Jesus has been unanimously condemned by the Sanhedrin. You're going to, you're going to support this guy? What's your standing in the synagogue going to be after that? If the word gets out that you supported this criminal as a Messiah, this blasphemer. Or they could have gone into the crowd and said this. You let Jesus go, and the Romans hear that you let a potential Messiah loose. The Romans are going to come in here, and they're going to crush Israel. And you're going to lose your home and your family. They could have done something like that. Who knows what they did, but they did it. And somehow they got the crowd basically turning on Jesus to yell, Crucify him, crucify him. Still in Matthew 27, we go to verse 21. The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Now, this is the second time Pilate has asked the question. Verse 17 in Matthew, we have the first time, Who do you want me to release? Now, the first time it's not clear. What the answer was, it doesn't say. The scripture doesn't say. But assuming that they had answered Barabbas the first time, Pilate was probably astonished that they had answered Barabbas when he had asked them the first time. So he asked them again. Now it could be the crowd had just remained silent during that time when the that was the time when the Jews went out and tried to talk them into saying, "Give us Barabbas." And so since they remained silent, Pilate had to ask them again. Or they could have said, "Give us Barabbas." At any rate, that wasn't what. Pilate was looking for. He wanted them to say, give, give us Jesus. Give us the Messiah. But no, he, Pilate didn't get what he wanted. It's interesting. Oh, f- verse 21 says, the governor asked them, that's the crowd, the crowd now, not the leaders, but the crowd. Peter in his Pentecostal sermon later rebuked the crowd for this choice of Barabbas over Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, Peter says this in his famous Pentecostal sermon. But you, that's you all, you guys, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You can imagine they felt pretty bad about that. They did. The guilt was all over them. There was a lot of conversions, actually. So the crowd did a terrible thing here. They condemned the Son of God to death. Moving now to Luke chapter 23. We'll read verses 18 and 19. Then they all cried together, Take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. Take Jesus away to kill him. Release Barabbas to us. Verse 19, he had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder, as we already know. Now, the they that all cried together, take this man away. Some people speculate he could have just been the leaders. No, it was the crowd. It was all the crowd yelling and screaming as John Gill affirms. Now, verse 19 here. We move now to John, chapter 18, verse 40. They shouted back. That's the crowd. They shouted, shouted back, not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was actually a murderer as well as a revolutionary, as Luke, chapter 23, verse 19 says. As I've said earlier, Barabbas in Aramaic means son of the father. NIV Study Bible has an interesting comment here. It says that one son of the father died for another son of the father. In other words, Jesus was the son of the father and he died for Barabbas' sins. which I don't think Barabbas took advantage of, the, of that sacrifice. It's a shame he didn't. Staying in John now, we'll go to the next chapter in John, chapter 19, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now this is a Roman flogging. Now this is the Roman government. Pilate hoped that a flogging would satisfy the Jews, according to the NIV Study Bible, John Gill and Adam Clark. The NIV Study Bible says this might have enabled Pilate to release Jesus. The idea is, look, we've punished him enough, let him go, that'll be enough for you, won't it? Now, this flogging was, as I said, a Roman flogging. It was much worse than the Jewish method. As Adam Clark points out, the Jewish method was that you never flogged anybody more than 39 blows. Deuteronomy 25.3 says this, He, a criminal, may be flogged with 40 lashes, but no more. Otherwise, if he is flogged with more lashes than these, your brother will be degraded in your sight. So what the Jews did is they would stop at 39 lashes to be sure they didn't miscount. So it was 39 lashes from the Jews. And also, according to the Jewish, not necessarily Deuteronomy, but in the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws, The man could not be abused that was being whipped, and his flesh could not be cut. Well, Jesus was abused. He was mocked. the, the, The whip with the bones and the leather thongs were ripping his flesh out. So now, Pilate is whipping Jesus and making him look horrible. But that wasn't all. We read in verses 2 through 3, The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns. This is John 19 still. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Now, this mocking done by soldiers was probably a traditional thing they normally did. But since Jesus had gotten the reputation for being King of the Jews, Pilate had used that expression, they the soldiers went along with that theme in their mockery a crown of thorns because the king needs to have a crown, so let's get some nasty looking thorns and make a crown and put it on his head. Now, a lot of people talk about the sharp points of the thorn of the thorns that were pushed down at his head and make him bleed, and that's come traditional. I read somewhere, and I don't know why I've lost it. I don't know where it is that that's not necessarily what happened. I don't know why I just read it somewhere. But at any rate, whether he was actually in physical pain with blood because of the crown, it was obvious the symbolism. What it was trying to do was to make fun of him, to mock him. Oh, you're some kind of a king, aren't you? What kind of a king wears a crown of thorns? They threw a purple robe around him. That's probably reddish purple, the color of royalty. Probably one of the military garments that was nearby that the soldiers had available. They put it around him because a king's got to wear purple, right? Purple's the color of royalty. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hey, old king of the Jews, and slapped his face. How disgusting to mock the Son of God like that. Verses 4 and 5 in John 19. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Outside, because remember the Jews would not go into the praetorium. So Jesus was being held inside the praetorium. That's where the soldiers were. And all this mocking and slapping of Jesus and wearing the purple robe and the crown of thorns, that was done inside the Praetorium. They put a purple robe on him. You know, Herod had already put some bright clothes, Herod's soldiers. Herod Antipas was probably over in the temple area somewhere, and he had already, his soldiers had already put mocking royal attire on Jesus, and these Pilate soldiers had done the same thing. So Pilate went outside and said to them, said to the Jewish leaders, look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I found no grounds for charging him. Pilate keeps saying that. I Look, the man's innocent. Then Jesus came out, came out of the Praetorium, Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Jesus said to them, here's the man. Now, here's how John Gill describes Jesus. John Gill is sort of a literary, literary guy. Quote, with his temple scratched and torn with a thorny crown, and the blood running down from thence." Gill obviously believed the thorn did cause him to bleed. The blood running down from thence, and his face and eyes swollen with the blows he had received from their closed fist and all besmeared with his own blood and the soldier's spittle, his body appearing to be almost of the same color with a purple or scarlet robe, through the stripes and lashes he had received when that was thrown back. And you can imagine when they stripped those clothes off of him, as they did, but when he was going to be crucified, how those clothes had stuck to his matted blood on, the, on his back where he'd been whipped, and how that must have felt, ripping that off his back. Here is the man, says Pilate to the Jewish leaders. Here is the man. That is the famous phrase in Latin, which is "echo homo. There's a church called the Church of Echo Homo in Jerusalem to this day. Here is the man. What does Pilate mean by this? Here is the man, echo homo. John Gill says he was trying to arouse their pity so they would let him go. That's one option. Gill says perhaps he was trying to show how weak Jesus was, and thus hardly a candidate for a fake Jewish king. I personally think that's what he's trying to do. He was also trying to show the Jews that look that, that he had punished that he Pilate had punished Jesus. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says the idea is this: Pilate says, "Look, I punished him. Here he is. Look at him. He's beaten. He's been mocked. You don't need me to kill him, because remember, Pilate didn't want to kill him." I now turn to Mark chapter fifteen and I will read verses twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Starting with verse 12, Pilate asked them again, "...then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews?" Again they shouted, "...Crucify him!" Then Pilate said to them, "...Why? What has he done wrong?" But they shouted, "...Crucify him all the more!" I'll read Matthew 27, verses 22 and 23, which basically say the same thing as the passage in Mark I just read. Pilate asked them, "...What should I do then with Jesus, who was called Messiah?" They all answered Crucify him. Then he, Pilate said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting crucify him all the more. The fact that Jesus asked that Pilate asked why, what has he done wrong showed that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but the more he kept pointing out to them that it was that he was innocent, they shouted crucify him all the more. They kept on it got worse and worse and worse. The more the crowd saw that Pilate wanted to free Jesus, the more vicious the crowd got. We now turn to Luke chapter 23, verses 20 through 22, starting with verse 20. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. Now here... We note that Luke explicitly states that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. I've been saying as a matter of inference that it's clear that Pilate wants to let Jesus go. But it's more than just inferences. Luke states it right out here. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. In other words, look, guys, just let me whip him and that'll be the end of it. I, he doesn't deserve the death penalty. And then, of course, they yell, crucify, crucify. The fact that they yell, crucify, more than once, shows the vehemence of the crowd, the repetition. Crucify him, crucify him. It says, Jesus said to them a third time, what has this man done to them? Let's look at the first time. It's in Luke 23, verse 4. Pilate then told the chief priest in the crowds, I find... No grounds for charging this man. Second time, Luke twenty-three, fourteen. Pilate said to them, You have brought me this man as one who subverts the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man but the things you accuse him of. That's the second time. And here's the third time. Three times Pilate pronounces Jesus innocent. To give us an historical record that the murderous Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees murdered an innocent man, the Messiah. I've just been watching on YouTube some... YouTube videos of Jewish people who have accepted Jesus, and it's really interesting. They're brought up to believe that Christians are Gentile anti-Semites, and that Jesus was a Gentile of all things. And a lot of, and these were intelligent Jewish people. One of them was a a movie actor. You know, you know, they're educated people. But they wouldn't touch the Bible, the New Testament part of the Bible. They'd read the Hebrew Bible, of course. But the New Testament, uh-uh, not going to touch that. That's the Gentile Bible. Got to stay away from that. And their mothers were telling them that, and they would just raise that way. And then to find out when they find Jesus, or Jesus finds them, to speak more properly theologically, it's really encouraging. It's really encouraging that when Jews find their Messiah... Now we will turn to John chapter 19 and finish up this audio. We'll go verses 6 through 15. and John gives us a, a, a good many more details here than the other Gospels. John, We'll start with verse 6. When the chief priest and the temple police saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Now here we have the chief priest and the temple police as well as the crowd shouting, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourself, for I find no grounds for charging him. Crucify him yourselves. The NIV Study Bible says that's the petulant utterance of an exasperated man. Because Pilate knew the Jews had no authority to crucify anybody. So he just he just got mad. He said, crucify him yourself. Which is not a, not a possibility. And plus he knew the Jews didn't crucify people. They stoned them. First 7, Ch- John chapter 19. We have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. Now, apparently, the Jews re- were referring to the law against blasphemy, as they now Study studied Bible, and Adam Clark say. That law is found in Leviticus 24, verse 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh is to be put to death. The whole community must stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the foreign resident or the native. They also had laws against false prophet, as John Gill and Adam Clark point out. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 is one. But the prophet who dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. Well, and not not only that, there was laws, when we talk about laws against idolatry, uh, that making yourself to be the son of God, when you're not, the law against idolatry could be applied against Jesus. You know, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. So, yeah, if Jesus had been what the Jews said he was, yeah, he would have been totally guilty. But now... The Jews are trying to get the Romans to carry out in the Roman law what Jesus was guilty of under the Jewish law. And the Romans didn't care about theology. So having failed with charging him with sedition, that he didn't, he said that we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, they failed with that. He's trying to start a revolt. They failed with that. So now they turn to a charge of blasphemy as a last resort. And they are they are maddened now. They're like rabid dogs now. They've lost all reason. Now, they preferred a charge of sedition for two reasons. That's why they started out with the he he wants to not pay taxes to to Caesar, and he's claiming to be a king, and these political charges. Why did they prefer that? Because that would bring a death penalty, and the Jews couldn't execute a death penalty, but the Romans could. And it would also bring about the type of death penalty they desired, because crucifixion is a much worse way to die than stoning was. And so they tried to nail Jesus on political charges as first. That didn't work. Now they're going to blasphemy. Now, this appeal to blasphemy as a grounds for condemning Jesus shows certain things about the Jews, according to John Gill. First of all, they were crafty. They imposed upon Pilate's ignorance of the Jewish law, John Gill says. I don't know how crafty that is, in my opinion, because why would Gill, excuse me, why would Pilate care what the Jewish law said? They're appealing to a law that Pilate has no jurisdiction. To enforce It also shows the Jews trying to get Pilate to carry out this a crucifixion on Jesus shows disregard for their own law, John Gill says, because the Jews knew that their own law called only for stoning and not cru- crucifixion. It also shows out that they were inconsistent because in John 18, verse 31, in the previous chapter in John, we read this, Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. The Jews already told Paul, it's not lawful for us to put him to death, and now they're trying to get him to put him to death. The kangaroo court, these people are dumber than Antichrist Democrats. By the way, I've been jumping on Democrats. I'm talking about the Antichrist progressive wing of the Democrats who have now decided that they should go on a crusade against Christians and run us out of the country. I realize that there are some Democrats that aren't Antichrist. A few, at least. All right, the Jews are telling... Pilate here, he must die because he made himself the son of God. That phrase, son of God. Now Jesus often asserted this in his ministry, but usually not with the phrase son of God. He would use the phrase son of man, which the a messianic term. Comes out of Daniel seven thirteen and fourteen. The son of man that ascended into the ancient of days came up to the ancient of days. And remember, he was adjured by Caiaphas, the high priest, earlier that morning. Are you the son of son of God? Jesus said, Yes, I am. You said it. John 5, verse 18 says this. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. This is a long time ago. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So when Jesus says, God is my Father, that's the equivalent of saying that I am his Son. And that's where they got the phrase, Son of God. I don't, I'm not sure, I don't think Jesus actually used the phrase, Son of God. He used the Messianic term, Son of Man. John chapter 19, verses 8 and 9. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. When he heard heard what statement? When he heard that the Jews, hey, he's got to die. He said he was the son of God. That scared Pilate. He was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus. Remember now, Jesus is tied up inside the praetorium, and Pilate's been talking to the Jews without Jesus present. So Pilate goes back to Jesus, and he says, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. Now, what was Pilate afraid of? Well, here's some options. Option number one, he could have been afraid of not executing an alleged blasphemer. This is the NIV Study Bible's idea. Pilate was evidently superstitious, and he didn't want to upset the God of the Jews. And if Jesus really was blaspheming the God of the Jews, and Pilate refused to snuff out that blasphemy, then maybe the God of Jews might God of the Jews might snuff out Pilate. And at any rate, if he didn't snuff out this blasphemy, the Jews would be in an uproar. As John Gill and Adam Clark point out, and this would call the Romans now on Pilate's head. So yeah, he was scared. Now, he didn't want to condemn Jesus. We've already seen that. But he's also afraid not to to kill him. He's stuck between the proverbial rock and the hard place. Here's another thing he might have been afraid of. He might have been afraid of putting an innocent man to death. His wife's dream may have encouraged that fear. You recall we talked about his wife telling him, Leave him alone. Don't persecute that righteous man. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Or option number three, he could have been afraid of putting a demigod to death, as John Gill says. Pilate could have thought that Jesus was some kind of god that had come down to earth. Remember he's a superstitious guy probably. Jesus had done a lot of miracles, he was he was acting like a god, and he just told Pilate, in his first appearance before Pilate, that Jesus had just said that Jesus had said that his kingdom was not of this world. Well maybe he was a god and maybe I'm going to kill a god. And in fact the Jews called him the Son of God. Here's what Jameson Fawcett and Brown says about that title, Son of God. The name Son of God, the lofty sense evidently attached to it by his Jewish accusers, the dialogue he had already held with him, and the dream of his wife, all working together in the breast of the wretched man. In other words, these are the reasons why, why uh, Pilate might have been afraid to execute Jesus. Let me read a quote from Ellicott, the Ellicott Commentary. That is, as the verses which follow show, he was the more afraid because of his wonder who Jesus really was. He must have heard of some of the current impressions as to his life and words. He had himself heard him claim a kingdom which is not of this world. His wife's dream had furnished an evil omen which the superstition of the most educated classes of the Roman Empire would interpret as a message from the gods. And now the Jews the Jews speak of him as one who claimed to be the son of God. So, folks, I think that that's, he was more afraid of executing a god than he was afraid of not executing a blasphemer those are your two basic options or he uh, or well the third option he's afraid of putting an innocent man to death and I don't think Gil worried so much about that as he was worried about putting a god an innocent god to death that's what he's really worried about now you notice that Jesus when Pontius Pilate went back into the praetorium and said where are you from and what he meant by it he didn't mean was he from Nazareth he meant are you from heaven or not Jesus didn't give him an answer The NIV study Bible says Jesus had answered before. Remember, this is during the first appearance before Pilate, before Jesus was taken to Herod Antipas, Pilate went in there and talked to Jesus a good bit about his claims, and Jesus said, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus had answered him before, but he's not answering now. The NIV study Bible says the reason for his silence is not clear. So here are some options as to why Jesus did not speak up. NIV Study Bible and John Gill said Pilate would not have understood the answer. If Jesus said, I have been sent by God the Father to save the world from its sin, Pilate and his state would not have understood. So what was the point? He wouldn't have understood heaven. He wouldn't have understood where Jesus was from. That's option number one. Option number two, Pilate would not have believed Jesus was from heaven. Option number one, he wouldn't have understood the idea of coming from heaven. Or Number two, which is somewhat related, Pilate would not have believed that Jesus was from heaven. He would have understood what heaven was, but he wouldn't have believed that a man had come down from heaven. That is kind of a, you know, that's not the everyday occurrence. You know, It might be a little bit hard to, to, uh, to swallow. The third option was that Pilate was asking a frivolous question. This is John Gill. Pilate is a heathen wondering whether a demagogue was in front of him, Adam Clark says. And Clark says Jesus didn't want to waste time talking about heathenism. Pilate just didn't have the right idea about, you know, Jesus wasn't Zeus or Hermes or Apollo or anybody like that. He was the son of God. and Pilate wouldn't understand this, and so it was just no point. John, Here's a fourth option. Pilate did not deserve an answer. He was entertaining the thought of executing an innocent man. Pilate not deserving an answer is John Gill's idea. Pilate knew he was innocent. So, and it's clear that Pilate is about to cave in to the mob. And Jesus says, what's my, you know. What's the point of talking to you about who I am? You're going, to get, you're going to kill the Son of God, give him to a mob. You're not going to change. What's the point? Jameson, Foster, and Brown say the weak and wavering governor is already on the point of giving way. We go to verses 10 and 11 in John 19. So Pilate said to him, You're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Verse 11. You would have no authority over me, me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Now, this is a little hard to understand here, so let's go through it. These are the last words that Jesus ever spoke to Pilate. Pilate can't understand why Jesus is not talking to him. And he asked a logical question. Hey, "Don't Look, I can kill you. I can crucify you. And you're not going to try to defend yourself? Jesus answered, that if, it, if it, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. Now, what does he mean by that, from above? Here's some options. All earthly power comes from God. The NIV study Bible and John Gill say could have been come if the authority to kill me had not come in from the Jewish Sanhedrin. I don't believe that's true because the Jewish Sanhedrin wasn't really above the Roman government. Or it could have been, you have the authority only to kill me because of the Roman government, which is above you. I don't think that. It's called, he's talking about coming from God. Jesus is putting Pilate in his place. As John, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, quote, Thou thinkest too much of thy power, Pilate. In other words, Pilate is saying, Look, you need to be talking to me, Jesus. I'm a big shot. I've got the authority to crucify you. This shows that Pilate was guilty of crucifying Jesus. He stated he had the authority, and he very soon used it. He tried to wash his hands, you know. But come on. You don't wash your hands when you do. what He turned him over to the Jews to be crucified. Washing your hands is not going to get rid of the sin, the stain of judicial murder. John Gill says that Pilate has now changed from fear to proud boasting. He's trying to terrify a man he knows to be innocent. Tell me where you're from. Let's read verse 10 again and emphasize the word me. So Pilate said to him, You're not talking to me? Don't you know I have the authority to release you? You're not talking to me? If you emphasize the me, it makes it sound like Pilate is falling back on his pride of office, as Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown claim. And doing that, tended to blunt the workings of his conscience. So Jesus basically is saying, "Look, you keep talking about you have the authority to crucify me. You wouldn't be crucifying me if you, if God hadn't given you the authority to crucify me. Of course, it was predestined from before the foundation of the world that Jesus would die for the sins of the people, as we read in that passage in Peter's Pentecostal sermon. He said it was predestined, but you guys are guilty at the same time. It's a great theological verse there. This is the why. And this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Now, this is a strange thing." Strange statement here. You would have no authority if it hadn't been given you from above. That makes sense. Quit, quit pulling rank on me, Pilate. God gave you the authority. Your authority is merely human. But then this next phrase, this is why the one who handed me over to you has the greatest sin. Because Pilate was doing his God-appointed job, his sin was lesser. In other words, Jesus kind of changed the subject a little bit and he says, okay, hey." Your authority came from above, so don't be talking about your authority. And by the way, it's kind of like a by the way here, an aside. And that's because the people who handed me over to you has the greatest sin. The one, that's Caiaphas, the high priest, probably. That Caiaphas has the greater sin because he's doing it out of malice. You are trying to to act as a judicial authority, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Now, you still have sin. Caiaphas has greater sin. That means your sin, even though your sin is lesser, it's still sin. But at least you're trying to behave as a duly appointed legal authority. But Caiaphas, he was just just the leader of a lynch mob who was not interested in justice. He was interested in a witch hunt. When a legal officer commits murder, it's judicial murder. And judicial murder is much worse than ordinary murder. And Pilate was not on a personal vendetta against Jesus. Obviously, he was trying to get him loose the whole time. But the lynch mob outside was on a personal vendetta. So, Pilate's sin was less than Caiaphas' but it was still sin, of course. And as I've said before, Pilate killed himself three years later after he lost his office. I read somewhere that Vitellius, who was one of future Roman emperor after Nero committed suicide, he was the governor of Syria at the time that he deposed and, and, and Jerusalem was under, government, under the province of Syria. And Vitellius deprived Pontius Pilate of his office. And then Pilate kills himself, probably because of his disgraceful performance here and turning Jesus over to the mob to be killed. You can imagine that would make one depressed a little bit. The one who handed Jesus over to Pilate having the greater sin is probably Caiaphas. Some people suggest it was Judas. The NIV Study Bible denies that. I don't think it's Judas. John Gill says it could be the Jewish leaders in general, but it says the one. It sounds like one person. It sounds like Caiaphas. Now, let's look at some of the options as to the tone of voice of Pilate when he said, You're not talking to me? Here's one option. He's incredulous. You're not talking to me? Don't you know I have authority to release you? That's kind of the way I read it when I first read it. John Gill says rather it's angry, an angry voice, not an incredulous voice. You're not talking to me? What's the matter with you? Don't you know that I have authority to release you? Either anger or incredulous incredulousness. I'm not sure which way it goes. could be either way. Verse 12, From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. He's still trying to get rid of him. uh, He's trying to release Jesus. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The Jews were making an implied threat. They were hitting Pilate where he was weak, as the NIV study Bible says. Pilate heretofore did not have a good track record with the Roman government. As I mentioned earlier, several years later, after this, Pilate was removed from office for graft and then killed himself. The Jews shouting, that's the common people as well as the leaders. They've been stirred up by the Jewish leaders. You are not Caesar's friend. Well, who was Caesar at this time? That was Tiberius, who was Caesar then. And Pilate knew that he was one of the most jealous and distrustful princes in the world. He was kind of a weird guy, kind of a depressed sort of guy, if you read his biography. And he would not be the type of guy that would be happy with a Roman governor releasing a person who's going to start a Messianic revolutionary movement against Rome. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Again, now they're going back to the political charge again. Now, let's collect some data here. We see that Pilate made every effort to release him. According to Adam Clark, the Jewish legal authorities made five attempts to release Jesus. I'm going to read you some verses, and some of them overlap but just to give you the flavor the strength of how much the romans tried to let jesus loose Luke 23 verse 4 Pilate then told the chief priest and the crowds I found no grounds for charging this man Luke 23:15 neither has Herod because he sent him back to us clearly he has done nothing to deserve death Luke 23.20 Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. Luke 23.22 A third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him whipped and then release him. John 19.4 Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. John 19.12-13 From that moment Pilate made every effort to release him. That's where we are now. So, let's read John 19:13. When Pilate heard these words, the words that the Jews used accusing him of being weak on revolution and you're not going to be a friend of Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside, outside the praetorium. He sat down on the, the praetorium. I didn't mention this in this audio. The praetorium was a room in Herod's palace on the west side of the city. It was separate from a little bit south and west of the temple. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. This is the only time that's mentioned in the New Testament and or in the Bible. And uh, it's been lost today. They, they don't know where it is. Gabbatha seems to mean hill of the house, perhaps. Or it can mean the stone pavement as it's translated here. As John has it as stone pavement. Here's what Adam Clark says about Gabbatha. Probably it was that place in the open court where the chair of justice was set, for the prefix of provinces always held their courts of justice in the open air, and which was paid with stones of various colors, like that of Ahasuerus, Esther 1-6, red, blue, white, and black marble, what we still term mosaic work, or something in imitation of it, such as the Roman pavements frequently dug up in this and other countries where the Romans have had military stations." Okay, so Pilate has now got Jesus outside. He sits down on the bench, on the on the judgment seat, on the judge's bench. Why? Because the purpose now was not to declare Jesus' innocence as he had done several times before, three times at least. It was not to move their pity when he said, Echo homo, behold the man, if that's what he was trying to do then. <laughs> but it wasn't that. It wasn't to get him loose like he had tried to do before. Why was he sitting on that judge's bench? It was to pass sentence on the Son of God. Chapter verse fourteen and chapter nineteen of John nine of John. It was the preparation day for the Passover and it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, "Here is your king." First of all, what is preparation day? The Roman Christian Study Bible doesn't capitalize it, but the NIV states it this way: "Day of Preparation" with the P capitalized. It was a special day and meant to prepare for the Sabbath. Saturday, so Friday was preparation day normally. But here it doesn't say preparation day for the Sabbath. It says preparation day for the Passover. And that's a little confusing and has led some to believe that it was a special preparation day for the Passover. Well, I think the simplest way to deal with this, the NIV Study Bible says it's the Friday, the preparation day of the Saturday of Passover week. Because remember, Passover that year was Thursday, then you had Good Friday... And then you had the first Saturday there, the first Saturday of Passover week. And so so it was Friday that Jesus was being tried here, and it was the preparation day for the next day, which was Saturday, Sabbath. That's the easiest way to answer that problem. As I said, others disagree and say it was a special day of preparation for the Passover Uh, Let me read an interesting quote from Adam Clark. Others think that the preparation of the Sabbath is distinctly spoken of in John 1931 and was different from that what is here mentioned. Contending nations may be more easily reconciled than contending critics. be like saying Democrats and Republicans in America in 2019 could be more easily reconciled than these critics who argue over this. Well, I'm just going to assume it's preparation day for the Sabbath because that floats my boat. Now then there's another problem too, is six in the morning. Now the problem that arises here is that Mark, in the crucifixion passages, more precisely at Mark 15 verse 25, says that Jesus was crucified at the third hour. The third hour. Well here, as Jesus, as Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified, it's six in the morning. This is at John 19 verse 14. How is that the third hour? Well, here is well, it, one of the main the problems that arises here is that we don't know whether John is using Jewish time or Roman time. Now, if he's using Roman time, Roman time starts at 12 o'clock in the morning and the sixth hour, the Greek, it says the sixth hour. So the sixth hour from 12 o'clock gives you six o'clock in the morning. And the Holman Christian Study Bible tr- translates it straight as six in the morning. The English Standard Version says the sixth hour and leaves it up to you and me to figure out what time it was. Well, if you have it at six o'clock in the morning, when Mark says that Jesus was crucified at the third hour, that makes Jesus crucified about nine o'clock in the morning. And there's no problem because Mark has the crucifixion at nine o'clock in the morning, Jewish time. So we have Jesus being handed over for crucifixion by Pilate on the judgment seat at six o'clock in the morning, according to John here. Roman Christian Study Bible Translation, if you take the six hour, it be six o'clock in the morning Roman time. And then Mark has him crucified at the third hour, which would be three hours later at nine o'clock in the morning. The problem with that is how could Jesus appear before Pilate twice and Herod uh, after, and do all that before sunup, before six o'clock, when Pilate sent, had finished trying Jesus, all the hearings had finished, and Pilate sent him on his way down the Via Dolorosa. Before six o'clock in the morning, because the Sanhedrin had to finish its work, had to start its work during the daytime and then had to pass Jesus over to Pilate after it was finished. So that would be during daytime and have to be after sunup and it would have to be before six o'clock because Pilate handed Jesus over to the soldiers to to go on the Via Dolorosa at six o'clock. If you take the six hour being from midnight Now we have a problem with my attempt at harmonization there uh, by saying that Pilate hands Jesus over at six in the morning Roman time and then Jesus is crucified at nine o'clock Jewish time. The problem is, is, as I said, is that a lot of stuff has got to happen before Pilate hands Jesus over and six o'clock in the morning is awful early for a lot of stuff to be happening, for all that stuff to be happening. Here's what had to be happening, as I said the trial before the Sanhedrin, twice before Pilate, and once before Herod. Now, here's some factors that make that not so implausible. First of all, is, I think I said this earlier, is that the two appearances before Pilate and the one before Herod were in the same building. There were just a few questions asked, a few blows, the, the Jewish soldiers struck Jesus a couple of times, mocked him and so forth, that's not going to take a lot of time. Especially when you consider that Herod Antipas's interrogation of Jesus was in the same Herod's palace as was Pilate's Praetorium. They were right next door to each other. They could the soldiers could just march Jesus back and forth. It won't take long at all. And the Sanhedrin when they turned Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, they were probably in the temple, which is just a stone's throw right across the Tyrepanion Valley there from the Herod's temple to Herod's palace. So you're not talking about great physical distances. Plus, when we say six o'clock in the morning, that's the six hour. Well, the Jews were sort of imprecise about keeping time. The six hour included 601, 602, up to 659. That's still the six hours. So that, that adds an extra hour right there. Plus... The sand the if you look at the records, the, the astronomical dawn was about an hour and a half before six o'clock or so. So assuming that dawn was around the sunrise was around six o'clock, and I think it was actually a little bit before that. They've looked at some article I read somewhere that talked about astronomical records going back to approximately when all this happened. Dawn was around six o'clock, maybe even a little bit earlier. Then you got astronomical dawn when the sun rose up, uh, it hadn't risen over the. Horizon yet, but still was lightening up the sky. The San Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin could have been meeting there. That's an hour and a half, so you got two and a half hours where all of these hearings could have taken place, and it reconciles pretty good if you ask me. Now I will say that this is an extro- extraordinarily difficult passage, and I will say that Bart Ehrman, the famous Bible hater, I think he's at Duke University, who constantly says that you know the Bible's full of errors. He's an evangelical apostate. He says it is, quote-unquote, impossible to reconcile. No, it's difficult. It is not impossible. Uh, a, good, a great article uh, that goes through all of the possible ways to reconcile it in incredible detail. I'm talking about New Testament Ph.D. detail. It's called, The Time of Jesus' Death and Inerrancy. Is Harmonization Plausible? Well, it's, of course it's plausible. It might not be easy, but it's plausible. And it's definitely not impossible. This is at... This is on Bible.org. It's called The Time of Jesus' Death and in Inerrancy. If you want to really get into the details, you can check that out. Now, notice that in this verse, in John 19.14, Pilate told the Jews, here's your king. Now, think about that. A king? This is probably intended to be sarcastic, a little ironic. He's trying to ridicule and shame them into releasing Jesus still. He still hasn't given up on that, according to Adam Clark and Jameson Fawcett and Brown. Because Jesus certainly didn't look like a king. He was flogged. He had a crown of thorns on his head. His face was beaten. He had ragged red clothes on his, uh, on his body. He was beaten within a half inch of his life. Going on to verse 15 and 16 in John 19. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? There's that sarcasm again. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Caesar demanded to be worshipped as a god. And the Jews said, We have no king but Caesar. The Jews committed blasphemy. It wasn't Jesus. They said, We will bow down to Caesar before we will bow down to the the Son of God. The ultimate blasphemy. They killed Jesus so they could worship Caesar. So they said, Take him away. Take him away from Gabbatha to Golgotha from Gabbatha, the stone pavement of the judgment seat, to Golgotha, where they crucified Jesus. Now that phrase, we have no king but Caesar, is used a lot by Orthodox, Preterists, Theologians, and I'm an Orthodox Preterist, so I I am sensitive to this verse, because it shows that the Jews committed blasphemy and, and that they subordinated their kingdom to the Roman Empire. That turns up in the book of... Uh, Revelation, when they talk about the priests and the image of the, of the of the the beast and the image of the beast, and so forth, and the Jews prostitute themselves to the Roman Empire. This verse right here is key in that. I just point that out to you. As we close this discussion of Jesus' second appearance before Pontius Pilate, we'll take up the crucifixion in the next audio.